I'd like you, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 14. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, you've spoken in your word And when your word is spoken, it works. It is a double-edged sword. And we pray, Father, for every heart here that you would pierce, that you would cut, that you would divide, that you would do the work that we desperately need you to do. Because we ourselves are powerless, blinded by our own sin. When we have once trusted Jesus, we begin, even at that moment, to fall to the temptation to stop looking at Him, to start looking at ourselves, and to be pleased with all the righteousness that we think we are laying up for ourselves. Would You humble us this morning as we hear Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a slogan by a certain company years ago was, Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. So what? Anyone? Anyone? Obey your thirst. I don't know what you said. It's obey your thirst. Okay? Obey your thirst. That's a good, it's a good slogan. Image is nothing. Thirst is everything. Obey your thirst. That's great to follow if what you thirst for is, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay? That's wonderful. That's a principle to guide your life by. If you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, eat, be filled. But if you hunger and thirst for the image of righteousness, be warned. Be warned. This is what Jesus is telling us in the parable that He's speaking this morning. The image of righteousness is is deadly. It's the covering over hell. It is the reason why so many people, when they close their eyes in this life, open their eyes in hell, and they're shocked. Because, as Jesus says, and this is probably the first thing out of their mouths when they wake up in hell, Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name? In Your name, didn't we cast out demons? And His last words to them are away from Me. I never knew you. 
it is a curse to hunger and thirst for the image of righteousness. Jesus has just told a parable. He says, when you pray, pray and don't give up. It's like the widow who beats on the door of the righteous judge. And because she's so irritating, even an unrighteous judge will hear her. So you, don't you give up knocking. Don't you give up beating on the door. Will not God bring about justice for His elect who cry out to Him day and night? But, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Okay. Now, in the crowd of auditors, in the congregation that Jesus is leading, however that looks right now, there are people who hear that and they say, I'll be here. I'll be here, Jesus. I've heard every word you've said since the wedding at Cana. I am your biggest fan. I'll be here, Lord, when you come. Every morning, I get up and my coffee pot is set at 5 a.m. My coffee pot goes off and I get my cup of coffee and I get my Bible and I sit down and I have my devotions. And I pray to you. I have my list. See, Lord, look at my list. I have missionaries on this page and friends on this page and family on this page. I have all the habits that you commend. I get alone with myself every day to pray. I'll be here. And they don't have to say it out loud. There are very few people who are bold enough to brag about themselves so boldly. But Jesus knows. And Jesus sees. And He sees there are some in His audience who are trusting in themselves that they are righteous. So He tells this parable. In the parable, He rebukes them for two sins and He provides them one way of escape. So He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. On the opposite ends of the spectrum of how we think of, of piety in the New Testament. On the one hand, the loud, obnoxious Pharisee always making long prayers, going about in long robes, and in this parable, lifting his eyes to heaven and proudly saying, thank you that you have made me a righteous man. And on the other hand, the compromisers, the guys who are dealing with Rome and taking in all the money and and they would, you know, take more than what was really being charged of them, the tax collectors. Someone who is generally looked up to, or even in the words of Jesus, Jesus says, look, the scribes and Pharisees, they sit in the seat of Moses. You know, do what they say, don't do what they do. Okay. The Pharisees. The Pharisees were, some say, the, uh, they were the sort of the blue-collar scholars. They were the ones who who studied the Word of God, believed it was inspired. They wanted to make sure that everyone could obey it. And so they came up with all this tradition to surround the Bible to make sure that no one even got close to breaking a commandment. Okay? And they weren't wealthy. That was the Sadducees. They, they didn't control things in the temple. That was the Sadducees. They had to meet in synagogues. And they kept up the synagogues. They were the small groups people. Okay, so who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees in that day are the Protestant Reformed Evangelicals. Okay? So it's you, it's me. This is the Pharisee. This is what the Pharisee goes and prays. 
The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Okay, that's the reformed part of the Pharisee. You know, he's he's the one that recognizes God is the one who has provided for him to be who he is. Some say they've they've begun at this point in history, the Pharisees, to downplay the doctrine of original sin. And so the playing field is level, so they would they might say. And so all that needs to take place is God puts you in a better circumstance than someone else. And so then you, for the rest of your life, make better decisions than anyone else. Okay? Um, where I'm from now, in Charleston, they have a saying, especially when somebody stumbles into great sin or they wind up in jail or they, they do something everyone's ashamed of. We didn't raise him like that. That's not how he was raised. Okay? This is the Pharisee. Thank you, Lord, that I was raised by a good family. I was raised by two parents. I was raised in a family where my father taught me the catechism. He, he went through every scripture and he went through every one of the catechisms and made me memorize the scripture. Thank you that in my family, uh, we go to the church every time the church doors are open. Thank you that I was raised not in that neighborhood over there, but I was raised in the best neighborhood in town. Thank you that I have had every advantage, and now I am not like all those other guys that were born on the wrong side of the town to the single parent. Okay. This is the attitude of the Pharisee. Pharisee says, thank you to that I am not. I was reading the biography of Jonathan Edwards recently, and at one point during the Great Awakening controversy, lots of people uh, were opposed to the Great Awakening. Lots of people were in favor of it. So he begins to write a book called Religious Affections. Basically, how to know if what happened to you was a genuine work of God or whether it was just your own loving and a particular religious experience that will fade in due time. And one of the things that he noted at the time, and several of his colleagues, was that people, when they got together, they would talk about their experience. They just talk about their experience. And you know, some of the experiences were pretty wild and woolly. The Lord pinned me to the floor, and I couldn't move for a day and a half. I was rolling around. I was talking in tongues. I began a Bible study. I began this. God did this to me. They begin speaking so much about their own experiences, they're not speaking about Jesus. They're speaking of all the righteousness that they allege he has made in their life. Be careful when you stand, when you think you stand firm, lest you fall. And he said, this is a problem because all these people who are going on and on about these experiences, they will fall because they trust in experience and not in the one who visited them and whom they claim forgave their sin. He said, I do this, I do that. This is one of the hidden pockets of sin that is at work in every heart. It's going to come up. Your heart is a sink of iniquity apart from the work of Christ and this will grow up in you. Every decision you make, every virtue you make will become a stumbling block to you. As uh, convictions grow up, beware. You will be on this part of the church which says, I thank you, Lord Jesus, 
that you have not made me like the people who don't love their children enough to homeschool. And they're flinging them into the public schools. And on the other side of the church will be the one, thank you, Lord, that I trust in the providence of God. You'll look after my children and I am bold enough to place them where they need to be. The mission field of the public school. And, of course, the middle ground, well, we'll send them to private school and see what happens. Thank you, Lord, that, you know, but even there, thank you, Lord, that I am not so proud as to go to this extreme or to go to this extreme. Everywhere you turn, every decision you make, there's the root of sin in you to cause you to treat with contempt everyone who disagrees. Okay? Um, Thank you, Lord, that I am not like those who uh, show their cleavage on Sunday morning in worship service, that I am modest. On the other hand, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those prudes who cover their head with a cloth. Okay? Thank you, Lord, that I have this beautiful church. Thank you, Lord, that I have trash cans on my walls. Thank you, Lord. There's no end... Okay, there's no end to the ways that you can grow up and be proud of your highest state or your lowest state. And sometimes you'll be the last to know this. You'll be the last to know this, which is why, among many other reasons, you need to be here so that you can meet face to face with the word of God and Jesus Christ and see who you really are. Of course, one of the greatest Uh, stumblings in all of history about this particular point happened in the Old Testament. It was in Numbers. If you have your Bible, turn with me and you need to see these words. Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. My favorite people to study, to read about, is Moses. Because uh, Moses is sort of the best of times and the worst of times in the Bible. And uh, we can all sympathize with his temptations and with his uh, reluctance to serve the Lord. And at the beginning of his tenure in Exodus, when he's called by the Lord, you know his reluctance to serve the Lord. And after that, he begins to grow and he begins to grow in humility until at one point it can be written that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. No one was as humble as Moses was. And yet, Moses, who was leading the children of Israel to the promised land, did this. This was when, you know the story, uh, Numbers chapter 20, um, the Israelites are complaining, as usual, about their lack of provision, wishing we had, they had perished when their brothers perished before the Lord, all the plagues and things that they went through uh, in, the des- in the wilderness. And Moses gets exasperated. He prays to the Lord. And verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, they're thirsty, okay? Take the rod, you and, your, and you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation, speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said, who is he supposed to speak to? 
the rock. Who does he speak to? Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And at that point, Moses is finished. That's the end. He's, he receives his pink slip. He's, he's got his notice. You will not finish what you have begun, Moses. Because why? Verse 12, You have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. This is the point at which the fruit of what is festering in Moses' heart. We can understand Moses' situation. They're pesky people. They're irritating. They're always complaining. And he always goes to the Lord. The Lord always provides for them. And yet, at this point, Moses loses his temper once. And God says, I see that. And you have shown it to everybody. Now I will show everyone what your sin means. You are proud and you must die. And so Moses, the most humble man on the face of the earth, died before the promised land for his pride. Do you think you will do any better? We can't do better than that. This is our situation. We ourselves are the rebels and we oftentimes set ourselves, well, constantly set ourselves over against every other sinner on the face of the earth thinking that our virtue qualifies us to something more special from God's hand. Okay? We are closer to Him. We are, we're the church on the wrong side of town. We're suffering for the Gospel. We are in the Mississippi Delta. We're suffering for the Gospel. We are 15 hours from family. We're suffering for the Gospel. All these other people think they have something to complain about. Let me tell you, you know, have you known someone who is always cutting people off? Um, and, and I've been tempted to do this. I heard Jody up, up here talking about uh, the weather for the picnic. Looks like it'll be good. They were afraid it would be a little warm. And I laughed to myself. I'm from Mississippi. You know, when we left, it was 109. You don't know what heat is. And, and when I was in school, I had a friend who's, who had a difficult relationship with his stepfather. And his stepfather was a workaholic, didn't think he should do anything. And every time anyone else uh, in, that, in the school or any of his friends would say, you know, boy, I'm tired, I was up late working, instantly out of his mouth. You don't know what tired is. Let me tell you what tired is. And then he would tell them about all the chores he had to do and, and why he was always falling asleep in school. He didn't win an audience. He didn't win an audience. Everybody else knows how sickening your sin is, but you, you'll be the last to know. And it's this way with this Pharisee. And when he prays this, he shows this other sin, that he views others with contempt. Um, we oftentimes think more about other people's thought, faults as though they were our virtues. We didn't have them. Okay? And that's what this man is doing. Thank you that I am not like. And he even ends his prayer with, or even like this tax collector, he points at the man. He says, I thank you. I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get because 
You know, the tax collector is the one who hoards all the money. He takes more money in than what the Romans are really charging. And he, you know, he gets rich off of his fellow countrymen. He's a compromiser. You know, and so the Pharisees praying, thank you, I'm not like him. I deny myself. I fast. I, you know, and then you fill in the blank with what you do. I give up an hour every day of my time to be with the Lord. I don't take seconds. I, you know, you, you can go down the list of your particular uh, points of virtue and say, thank you, I'm not like him, but I have this virtue. And of course, we have in the Bible all kinds of contemptible people listed uh, that God has told us about. We have uh, Rahab. You know, she was contemptible. Prostitute. Don't be a prostitute. That's bad. It's a sin. It's a terrible sin. Uh, we have Ruth, a Moabitess, someone who is not part of the people of God. Don't, don't die without being a part of the people of God. Don't die without being under church he will not he who will not have the church as his mother will not have god as his father don't die outside of the people but what happened to these women they joined up they repented they became incorporated into the people of god and all of us who would despise them because they came from such an awful background what do we owe to them you know we owe it to god but we owe it to them when they joined Israel, they married, they had children, and their children had children, and their children had children, and their children had Jesus. And in heaping scorn on the least of these, we heap scorn on Jesus. Luke seven, thirty-six to 50. You know that a Pharisee invited Jesus in to dine with him. And while they were at the table, this woman comes in and begins to you know, cry and she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears and, and drying his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee, who loves discussing John Calvin or uh, you know, Gamaliel, I suppose at that time, um, he enjoys the finer points, he enjoys listening to the whole sermon, and all of a sudden there's a scene and he thinks, just when I was getting to the good part, Jesus says, Simon, I got something to tell you. And he says, oh, good. He's going to tell me what he thought of my last illustration of you know, Moses saying such and such. But he doesn't. He said, a moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. While they were, when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? You've noticed that those who come from the worst sorts of places... To Jesus worship him hardest those who know what they've been forgiven of and can catalog it those who can speak ad nauseum not about the the virtues they now have but about the sins that they've been washed from that they can't believe they've been forgiven they can't stop talking about how gracious Jesus is. They are the ones who are exuberant, who rejoice. And there are those of us who came up in very good situations, who are very staid and can be very shallow and can be very uh, happy 
with themselves. I don't have those temptations. What have you been forgiven of? Uh, uh, um, uh, you know, well, uh, I'm proud. You know, that's what you're supposed to say. I'm proud. I'm a proud man. Jesus has taken away in this parable all the glory of being a proud person and confessing it because he's saying this is what keeps you from me. Simon says in his heart, if Jesus only knew who she was, if he if he was a man of God, he would know what kind of sinner this woman was. Jesus says to Simon, I know who she is. I made her. I know who she is. I'm going to go and prepare a place for her. I know who she is from before the foundations. She was chosen. I know her. I gave her those tears. I gave her that hair. And Simon, you have hair and you have tears. Where are my tears, Simon? Where are my tears, Simon? Where are my tears? He says, finally, he gives this way of escape. He says, as Paul says, you know, he will provide a way of escape so that when you are tempted, you will not fall. You will not be lost. What is the way of escape? The tax collector standing some distance away, even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The sinner. When the sinner stands before God convicted, he's before God alone. He knows he must stand before God alone. He will be judged alone as the sinner. Paul says, that God had had, the, had mercy on him, him, the chief of sinners. Have mercy on me, the sinner. He's all alone. He's not looking to his right or to his left. Thank you that I'm not like Tim Wagner. Thank you that I am more like Tim Bailey. Thank you that I'm even more like Dave Abusara. Thank you. There's none of that. Have mercy on me because I am the sinner. And that's all I can ask for. That's all I need hope for. If I have that, if I have mercy. And the word mercy is from a word that means, we also translate propitiation. Cover me in blood so that you will no longer see me. You will see the one who died for me. Cover me in your blood so no one will see my quiet time. They will see Jesus who went alone to the cross and shed His blood for me. Cover me in His blood so that I will not on that day cry out to the rocks to fall on me. You know, some people's prayer journals will fall on them at the last day. Don't be that way. Don't cry out to the Lord on that day. 
that you would be hid, that you would be buried under the ground. There is no escape the holiness of God. If you would be humble, if you would escape these sins that would drown you in the sea of fire, be humble and think of the holiness of God who when He appears to men, they scream because they know though they may be the best of the best, their lips are unclean and they live among a people of unclean lips and unclean hearts. And unless He burned their lips off of them, their lips will remain unclean. When this God, this holy God, sends His messengers to people to give them good news, the first thing the messenger says is, don't be afraid. Because even those who stand in the presence of God come away with a holiness that shines and is a shame and a terror to all who look. Be merciful to me. Cover me with your blood so that I will not be seen, but Jesus only will be seen. God demands holiness from His people. Be holy, for I am holy. Unless your righteousness surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And when we hear that, we the Pharisees, we're hypocrites anyway, right? And everybody hates a hypocrite, as Thomas Watson says. Everybody hates a hypocrite. Men hate him because he makes a show of godliness. God hates him because he only makes a show. And when Jesus tells us this parable, we're not to thank God that we're not a Pharisee, but to cry out for mercy because we cannot stomp down those thoughts enough. They will not die. They will always follow us. They will raise themselves up to us when we wake up in the morning and we will not be able to put them away. But we are to surpass the scribes and Pharisees. We are to surpass Moses. We are to surpass David. We are to surpass all these who have fallen. And how are we going to do it? We're not. The Christian does not praise God that he is not like. He praises God that Jesus is. Simon, it's not who she is. It's who I am. She recognizes that in this body is all the blood to forgive her all of her sins, past and present and future. And you recognize, oh, this is a teacher like me. Simon, I am the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. And if you would participate in my sacrifice, you would eat my body and drink my blood, you would be forgiven. Don't talk me up, Simon. I'm going to die for you. And then you praise me. And then you cry out to me for mercy, as this woman has. John Calvin on this passage says about the about the tax collector. From this, it may be learned that all our righteousness consists in the forgiveness of our sins. So what kind of image do you have? Do you have an image of the perfect saint, the perfect family, the children who obey and give the right answers in Sunday school class? Are you the one who gives the right answers in Sunday school class. I remember coming to this church and being in a Sunday school class and 
uh, we were, um, Tim Wagner was leading it and George was in the class and some of the rest of Adam was, of course, there. And we were going around the table and our Sunday school class consisted in always sharing the right answer. And, of course, what was I? I was a religious studies major. I knew things. And every time I spoke up, I was humbled. And I had to learn to keep my mouth shut in that Sunday school class. And um, what is your image? Are you the wise? Are you the one who reads the Bible four times in a year? Are you the one who is not afraid of anyone to tell them exactly who they are or what they're doing is wrong? Or are you the one who looks at the cross and cries out for the mercy that it shows? The cross is the final and greatest inducement to our humility because when we look at it, we see our sin. You know how Jesus explained the cross. With this we'll close. He, 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 he says, remember in the wilderness. Remember all the serpents came out because the Israelites were sinning and they, they bit the Israelites and the Israelites cried out to God and, and he said, okay, Make a bronze serpent, lift it up on a standard, and when the Israelites look at that, they will be saved. They won't die from the bite of the venomous serpent. What were they looking at? The venom that was killing them. What is Jesus calling you to look at? He's calling you to look up at the cross at sin. That's your sin hanging up there on the cross. There's no crime. That's, that's the sin that you're guilty of. Do you want to know how awful and how horrible and how ugly and how vile your little bit of pride is? It was enough to make the ugliest spectacle of the most beautiful being in the universe. The most perfect man and the everlasting God who hung on the cross and was broken for you is the picture of the revulsion of God at your sin. And it is also a testimony of how little we can do to add anything to our righteousness. So now we're going to close and I'm going to pray that all of us would look to Jesus Christ away from ourselves and be drowned in His blood and not in His wrath. Lord, We thank You for this Word that You have called us to repent. And even You've called us to repent of our repenting. We can confess to You with the loudest praise that You have made us better than our neighbor. But those words will rise up and strangle us before Your judgment seat. Help us to lose ourselves in the praise of the One who for us and for our salvation was crucified, died, buried, who rose on the third day, who promises that He is preparing a place for us. In Him and Him only is all our righteousness. Keep us from the sin of wanting to add any of our work to His work. And may we not be found on that day a proud people, but a people crying out for the mercy of their Heavenly Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.